And so as we look at chapters 49 through, uh, through 51, uh, you say, wow, that's a whole lot, and, and it is. And, and we're going to move through these next chapters uh, pretty quickly. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize chapter 39 for you, and then I'm going to um, look at the fall of Babylon. And the fall of Babylon is in chapters 50 and 51. And what these chapters show is they show the sovereignty of God over the nations. As we read through this and look at it, we're going to see that God, not Babylon, this great enemy that's been talked about the whole book, God, not Babylon, is the one who is in control. So chapter 49, what it does is it contains prophecies uh, about various nations. Remember, the other day we started looking at this, how, how we see Jeremiah is not just the prophet to um, uh, the people of God, but he's the prophet to the nations. And we started listing off, we looked at the Moabites, we looked at the Philistines, and Jeremiah continues to list all of these different nations uh, that God's judgment is going to come against. Um, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 49, we see his judgment against the people known as the Ammonites. And then in verses 7 through 22, we see his judgment against a people called the Edomites. And then in verses 23 through 27, a city that's located in Syria, Damascus, we see God's judgment is, is uh, revealed to them. And then in verses 28 through 33, a city in Arabia is mentioned there on Kedar and Hazor. In fact, two cities there. And then, interestingly, in verses 34 and 39, uh, we see that even in the Persian Empire, a city that was called Elam, which would eventually become the centerpiece of the Persian Empire, even God's judgment is mentioned on them. Now, all of these places list would experience the horrible power of this Babylonian empire that almost the entire book has been warning about from the very beginning. But what Jeremiah wants you to know is this, is Babylon is going to fall too. Babylon, that first domino that seems to knock over the rest, well, it's going to fall down as well. And so two entire chapters are devoted to the fall of Babylon, and that's where we're going to spend our time tonight. Um, I'm going to give you an overview of the prophetic utterances that are given against this nation and focus on what I believe are some important parts. There's so much repetition in, chap in these chapters that if we were to go through them uh, verse by verse, what you'd see is we'd basically start saying the same thing over and over. So what I've done is I've grabbed like the major parts out of it, and I'm going to share those major parts with you so you can understand what's happening here. The first thing I want you to see is in chapter 51, actually, in verses 59 through 64, that this prophecy against Babylon was given in the fourth year of the reign of Zedekiah. So I know that's a long way up there, but, but that's where we're, go we're going to start there in, in chapter uh, 51. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, when, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, into Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And this Sariah was a quiet prince. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, when you come to Babylon 
and you shall see and shall read all these words. Then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be, when you have made an end of reading this book, you shall bind a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates. And you shall say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. And they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So I say this first because it's so interesting. We start at the end of the prophecy, which was around 594 B.C. And what you see in these verses is really interesting. It shows that while Jeremiah was prophesying that this nation, Babylon, was going to be a victorious nation, he was at the same time, looking at these dates, prophesying that this nation, this victorious nation, would also fall. And this shows that Jeremiah was not a sympathizer of Babylon. When you read through the book, you see that one of the charges that people have against him over and over is he's a sympathizer. He loves Babylon more than he loves Jerusalem. But the fact is, while he was preaching these prophecies against these other countries, namely against Judah, he was also saying, hey, Babylon is going to fall too. Now, Jeremiah has a job for this guy whose name is Sariah. Now, Sariah is an interesting guy too. He is Baruch's brother. You know, he, or Baruch is the amanuensis, the secretary for Jeremiah. We see that in chapter 32, verse 12, that this guy is the brother of Baruch. He is the quartermaster of King Zedekiah. What does that mean? That meant that when the king was traveling to another place, it was his responsibility to go ahead and make sure that he had a lodging place that was equipped for the king. It was also safe for the king. And so we see here this, this guy is given a very important job. Uh, Jeremiah wrote on a scroll what you see in chapter 50 and what you see in chapter 51. And when Sariah gets in Babylon, he's supposed to read this out loud. What you see in chapter 50 and chapter 51. He's supposed to read this out loud when he gets to Babylon. And when he gets through reading it, he's supposed to tie it to a rock. And the reason is because paper floats. You don't want to throw that into the water because it'll just float. So he's supposed to wrap it up with a rock and he's supposed to throw it in the Euphrates River. And all of that was symbolic of the fact that God was about to sink this nation. Now who heard him when he read this? Probably not the Babylonians because if the Babylonians had heard him read this, man, they would have had his hide. They would have took him to town, took him to task. And so he probably went there and he just read it. And the symbolism of him reading it in the, in the land of Babylon was just symbolic that this prophecy, this Word of God, had been loosed over this geographic area. And so it's all symbolism here. As he's reading it, it's symbolic that the Word of God has been loosed over this, over this nation. And he wraps a rock around it. He throws it in the Euphrates River. And he says, man, this nation is going to sink. You see, God is about to show everyone how powerful He is. The nation that no one could defeat, the nation that was destroying all other nations, God was about to destroy that nation as well. And we see that Babylon would fall to a, 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 a group known as the Medo-Persia Empire. That probably don't mean a whole lot to you, but in 539 B.C., the Persians, along with the Medes, led by a guy by the name of King Cyrus, came in and took Babylon like it was nothing. 
just took it like that. Took it so quickly, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable when you look at the historic account of this. Now, Babylon's gods are mentioned in chapter 50, uh, verse 2. You, you see that mentioned there where it says... Uh, Declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken. Baal is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. So we see here, man, that, that if anybody thought that Babylon's gods were superior to Israel, the truth is now seen. Babylon had rejoiced in victories but soon this nation was going to be ashamed. Look, look there in verse 11 of chapter 50. Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, O you destroyers of my heritage, because you were grown fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls, your mother shall be sore confounded. She that bare you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nation shall be a wilderness, dry, and a desert. So we see there when we look at that, that this nation that was so happy about defeating all of these others is soon going to be ashamed because God is rallying the troops against Babylon. Look at verse 14. Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about. All ye that bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are falling. Her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance upon her as she has done. Do unto her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, and him that handles the sickle in the time of harvest, for fear of the oppressing sword. They shall turn every one to his people, and they shall flee every one to his own land. So he tells all of these other nations, he says, come against Babylon. Now I want you to look with me at verses 22 through 24 of chapter 50. It says, a sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. Notice this next part. How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become a desolation among the nations? I've laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou wast not aware. Thou art found and also caught because you have striven against the Lord. God says he set a snare for Babylon. Cyrus defeated Babylon in a very interesting way. What he did was he diverted the flow of the Euphrates River. And once he diverted the flow of the Euphrates River, uh, the riverbed was shallow. And because it was so shallow, he was able to march his army through the river and right into the city. And he entered Babylon before anybody even realized it. The Babylonians looked around and there was, the, where, there was this Persian Empire who had come right through the river, right up into their own land. Before they knew it, this army was there, and they just gave up. They just quit. I don't want to get into the historicity of this, but there was a lot of other things going on in Babylon at the time that, that made Babylon a, a weakened nation. But it really is an amazing story. And so God says, you know what, I'm just going to set a little snare for you. I'm just going to trick you. You're not going to have any idea what happens. And look at what Babylon is called in chapter 50, verse 23. They're called the hammer of the whole earth. What does that mean? That means that God was using them like a hammer. He was beating these nations with them. He, they were the hammer of the whole earth. 
They were a feared nation who wreaked havoc on anyone who stood in their way. But God says, I'm just going to take you out very easily. The coalition of the Medes and the Persians are referenced in chapter 50, verse 41 and 42. Specific nations are mentioned in chapter 51, verses 27 through 32. And the accuracies of these prophecies, if we were to really start looking at it, we'd be here for another six weeks, and I know you don't want to do that. But if you go back and you look at the accuracy of these prophecies, that's what really should be noted here. God not only said Babylon would fall, God said who Babylon would fall to. And I'll tell you, one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Bible is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, uh, verse 28, and also Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1. Because remember, Isaiah lived hundreds and hundreds of years before any of this came to pass. But not only did Isaiah prophesy that this Babylonian empire would fall, he prophesied the name of the king whom it would fall to, and that king had not even been born yet. Think about that. He said it's going to be Cyrus. Now that'll blow you away when you think about it. And it's such an accurate prophecy that liberal theologians have to say, you know what, this wasn't written until much later after it actually happened. And that seems to be what any person who doesn't want to believe the Bible uh, goes to whenever something is so accurate. But there's so much evidence pointing to the fact that, that this was hundreds and hundreds of years when Isaiah wrote this before it ever happened. But he not only prophesied that nation would fall, he prophesied the very name of the king that it would fall to, and that king had not even been born yet. Now Babylon is punished for her treatment of Israel. Notice how the Jews complained before the Lord about how Babylon treated them in chapter 51, verses 34 and 35. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is His name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause, that He may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword is upon the Chaldeans, saith the Lord, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes, and upon her wise men. So so we see here that, that... the Jewish people need a redeemer. That they, they begin to look at all that, that these evil people have, have done to them. And um, getting lost there a, a little bit on, on exactly where my, where my verse is. And I, and I apologize for that. Uh, but here's what they said. This is, a, this is a summary. They're praying to the Lord. And they said... Lord, Babylon has devoured us. Lord, Babylon has crushed us. Lord, Babylon has swallowed us up like a monster. Lord, Babylon has consumed us as delicacies. And you read through there and you'll see all that's just in a couple of verses. I'm just having a hard time putting my eyes on it right at this present moment. But they ask the Lord. They say, Lord, they've done all this stuff to us. Punish them. And then then when you look and and see how... how, um, the Lord's going to respond to these people, it, 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 or not these people, but, but respond to Babylon. It, it really is amazing because what the Lord says is He says, um, verse 49 of chapter 51, As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. See, Babylon has caused all of this death and destruction. And God says, you know what? They've got to fall. Back in chapter 51, they used to be the hammer. 
Now they're going to be the nail. God hammered other nations with them. But now it was their turn to be hammered. When you look at chapter 51, verse 24, And I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, saith the Lord. You see that there? God says, I'm going to pay them back for all that they've done. Now, God is Israel's kinsman's redeemer. And this is an important thing that we see in, in this section as well. When you look back at chapter 50, verse 33, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and that took them captives, held them fast. They refused to let them go. Look at this. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is His name. Now what did a kinsman Redeemer do? Some of you probably know this if you've studied the Bible much. Well, first of all, they avenged murder. If you murdered somebody, it was the responsibility of one of his kinfolk to go and redeem, to bring vengeance. That's found in the book of Numbers chapter 35. But the second thing they did was they protected um, Leviticus 25 and 25. Now, God is saying here that He's going to redeem His people from the Babylonians. Everything that they took, He's going to restore it to Him. And he's going to give rest to his people. But in giving rest to his people, he says that he's actually going to give unrest to the Babylonians. Now, because of this evil that had been committed toward the people of God by the Babylonians, Babylon is typically viewed in scriptures as the worst enemy of Israel. They're, they're it. They're the cream of the crop when it comes to the enemies of Israel. Um, even in the New Testament. When you look at Revelation chapter 17 and Revelation chapter 18, we see that there again at the end of the Bible, uh, Babylon is, is the great enemy. Now, I, I want to give you a little bit of background information because we're about to get into the New Testament in just a minute. But there are some people who believe that eventually Babylon will be rebuilt. That the actual nation of Babylon is going to be rebuilt. And that's how that factors into the book of Revelation. And then there are others who think that, well, Babylon is just symbolic of this world system that, that's opposed to God. And the Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to use this system to attempt to deceive the world and also to wage war against the church and Christ. But ultimately, Christ is going to destroy Babylon and all who rejoice in her. So, and this is where I would, what I would believe and what I would think the Scripture is saying. The nation of Babylon is therefore symbolic throughout all Scripture of everything that's opposed to God. From the Tower of Babel that Bryce preached about not too long ago in Genesis to the wicked Babylon that you see in Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, Babylon is to be avoided by the people of God. Babylon is awful. And just as God punished Babylon for her, for her treatment of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, God will punish Babylon for the way that she treats believers in the New Testament. 
So are you with me here? You're seeing that there's a whole lot of symbolism here? I'm saying that because I'm about to show you some messianic stuff, some messianic prophecies here, and I want to take you to the New Testament, and we're going to see how all of this ties together here. You see that there, there are messianic references in these chapters. In these chapters, we see references to the Messiah. Now, when you look at chapter 50, verses 17 through 20, what we see is a brief history of Israel. Look at it there. Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria has devoured him. We know what happened. The northern kingdom fell to Assyria. Last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. So eventually, then the southern kingdom fell to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. Now watch this. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Now, as I mentioned when we were reading through it, brief history. The Assyrians, they took the northern kingdom. The Babylonians, they took the southern kingdom. God then says, I'm going to restore Israel. And this picture is painted of Israel, of this nation that lives in this luscious pasture land. And then a very interesting promise is given to them. A promise of satisfaction, first of all. But then there's something more. Now, now the, the, re, the reason that we know that what's being said here is more than just returning to a land um, and, and having a good life. The reason that we know there's more is, is because of what we see in verse 20. It says in verse 20, eventually with Israel, that there will be no sin present. Now that, that implies two things. Number one, it implies that their sin will be forgiven. So there will be a restoration of the Jewish people. But secondly, it implies that sin has been forever moved, removed. You'll find no sin there. Now how in the world does that happen? How is sin forgiven? And then how is sin forever removed? How is this prophecy fulfilled, church? This prophecy is fulfilled through Christ. When you look at chapter 50 and you, and you look back at, at verses 4 through 5, it says, And in those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to, to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Do you see that? An everlasting covenant that shall not be forgotten. What covenant is that, church? It's the new covenant. It's the covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. God's people one day are going to experience true repentance and, and true restoration. Jesus, which is, which is our kinsman redeemer, has come to pay the price for our sins. And a whole lot of Jewish people, by the way, are going to find their salvation in Christ. And those who do will be a part of a covenant that knows no, no end. Now you might say, well, I'm not Jewish. I don't know how that helps me. Well, I've said it before to you. Listen, you're a part of the covenant community. Uh, for instance, when, you, when we were... I didn't... 
read all this, but when you go back and look at chapter 49, verse 39, when he was speaking to the nation of Elam, he said to them, In the latter days I will restore your futures and then fortunes. And then in chapter 49, verse 6, when he's talking to the Ammonites, he tells them, he says that I will restore the fortune of the Ammonites. What does that mean? That means that Gentile nations are a part of this too. Gentile nations are a part of this too. Y'all, God hasn't left us out. All believers are going to enjoy eternal forgiveness and fellowship with Christ in the new covenant. Now, I want to show you something. um, And I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 18. And, And I'm setting all this up for this because I think this is important. I could just keep showing you all the poetic ways that God describes the judgment against Babylon, but, but I don't know that we would, we would really, really get the full effect of what's being said here if, if we did that. So I want you to look with me in, in the book of Revelation, and I want you to look in chapter 18. And what this is, is this is the fall of Babylon. Now, this is this world system in the end times. It's completely opposed to God. It's, it's, it's run by an antichrist. Satan himself behind this evil, evil world system. And it deceives so many people. And so many people miss heaven because of this nation. And then we, we have to get all the way to the end, just like we had to get all the way to the end of the book of Jeremiah before we saw Babylon destroyed. Now we have to get all the way to the end of the Bible to see that ultimately this great enemy of God is destroyed. And I want you to look with me. And I'm, We're going to read this and, and we're going to talk about it briefly, but, but I want you to see it because I think you're going to appreciate it a lot more since you've been walking through this book of Jeremiah with me. Now I want you to see, first of all, Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3, how awful Babylon is. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Here is this nation who makes many people rich off of sin. And it is intoxicating the earth. People are filled with such joy and and, and glee from this evil nation. It's an awful, awful nation. And I want you to see not only how awful she is, but how ugly she is in verses 4 through 8. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, and the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she said in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. 
Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. It says here that this evil, evil empire has grieved the heart of God. Her sins have reached heaven. She's a disgusting, ugly nation. God says, I'm going to pour out my judgment on this ugly, ugly nation. And then look at how deceptive she is. And look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Now what that means is they have entered into some sort of spiritual covenant with them. It's not literal fornication here. It's they have turned their back on God and and this empire, this system is their God. And when they see God judge this nation, much like when Lot's wife saw fire and brimstone fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, it broke her heart. When the kings of the earth see what happens to this this empire, they're going to weep. Look at verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. And look at all these people who were making money off of her. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. And he goes on to talk about all this different merchandise that's not being traded anymore because this nation has fallen or this empire has fallen. Look at verse 15. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And so we see that she has deceived all of these nations, this world system, deceived all of these nations. And they are so broken hearted when they realize that they can't have what Babylon offered any longer. And I think about that, man, and I think about our world today and how much we love sin and how so many people, once God cuts sin off, cuts this world off from this evil system, there are going to be people who are so brokenhearted because the only joy they ever had came from sin. That was it. And then you really see how weak she was. Look at verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman 
of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee, and the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their sorceries were all nations deceived, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and all that were slain upon the earth. God is so easy, God. God, God just destroys her like that. And again, I don't have time to show you all the parallels, but if you go back and you read those prophecies against Babylon, and then you compare them to this, you see that what happened there was really a shadow of what's going to happen in the end times to this system that is set up completely against God, this system that has deceived so many people, this world system that has wooed people, has created desire for sin, and then provided a way for that desire to be met. This world system, God says, you've been strong, you have deceived nations, but I'm just going to cast you down. I'm going to cast you down. Now here's the question. There are all these people crying. Go back and if you want to do, do something interesting, go back and count all the times that it mentions that these people were crying. These are lost people crying because where they got their sin from is no longer accessible. It's really amazing. Go look. So these people are crying. And you say, well, what about us, Pastor? What are we doing? Well, it's interesting because it's, you see that. In chapter 19, you see that in verses 1 through 5. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, for He has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. So what will we do, church, when Babylon is destroyed? We're going to say, Hallelujah. We're going to say, Amen. We're going to praise the one who sits on the throne who destroyed this just in the same way that, that when the Babylonian Empire fell, the Jewish people rejoiced. Those of us who belong to God, those of us who are saved in the end, this world system, by the way, that so many people love today, so many people worship today, it's going to fall and they're going to cry. They're going to cry because they can't get their sin anymore. But those of us who know the Lord, we're going to rejoice. There can be no greater contrast between the people in chapter 18 and the people in chapter 19. And when it comes to the lost and the saved, there can be no greater contrast on the day of judgment than the lost and the saved. So this story that we've seen building all the way up through the book of Jeremiah, a historical story, a true story, but also a shadow. A shadow of what would happen in the future. After Christ comes. A world system, an antichrist system, sets itself up against God, deceives many, and God in His patience allows it to go on for many, many years. But then one day, He returns. 
And He defeats that city. He defeats that system just like that. And the people who love that system weep. And the ones who were vexed by that system, they praise God. Well, I tell you, I hope that you are one who is vexed by that system. I hope that when you turn the news on, it just breaks your heart. I hope that when you see stuff going on in this world like I preached about this morning, I hope it breaks your heart. Because if that's true, then you're on the right side of what's going to happen to this world system that has set itself up against God. I knew that was fast, and I know we went through a whole lot, but uh, most of what could be said in the book of Jeremiah, I had already said. And so I wanted to show you something in the New Testament because I believe from the very beginning in Genesis, Babylon is symbolic of all that's opposed to God. And so it has certainly ramifications to our life as well. We'll finish up the book of Jeremiah on Sunday morning. We're going to be preaching a sermon entitled, Obituary of a Nation. Obituary of a Nation. So we're going to be preaching it a little bit different. You could probably get an idea of what we're going to be looking at. But we will finish up this book on Sunday morning. Amen? I've enjoyed it. Me and Christina's enjoyed it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all you've done for us. And thank you for reminding us tonight that even though we read this stuff in the Old Testament, it still has meaning for those of us who live in the New Covenant. And Lord, help us to beware of this world system, this Babylon that has set itself up against you, against everything that's right. And help us, Lord, to be among those who rejoice when this empire, when this system falls. May we be all of those who are saying, Hallelujah, praise God, Babylon has fallen. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.